Parenting is hard. Few of us feel up to the task. The world is shifting, quickly and dramatically. All of us feel the changes affecting our families. The stress and pressure can be intense. We are here to help sort the good and the bad, provide insight and bring hope. Welcome to Brilliantly Brave Parenting. We're so glad you stopped by. Hi, and welcome to Brilliantly Brave Parenting. I am Pastor Brad Mathias. And I'm Melanie Medina. And we are in the studio today, uh, outside of Nashville, Tennessee, enjoying another episode. I believe we're at 107. Is that right? Yes. No, well, yes. That one says 108. Well, we have grown. We're at 108. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. Madison, our, one of our executive producers, she has updated the board and I have my back to it. That's so it. I made an error. Today, we are working through a series of discussions as we have all season eight, really trying to understand and appreciate the role of intergenerational parenting. And intergenerational parenting is a big word for saying grandparents. Um, we have a We have a history in our culture of really uh, families working together to raise children, right? Absolutely. I I know in one episode, we talked a little bit about your grandmother. um, And you really, Melanie, you attribute a lot of who you are to her. Is that correct? A tremendous amount. She introduced me to the Lord. She um, allowed me to see her walk. And how Jesus was her best friend and she was a church planter and a musician. And um, yeah, absolutely. The the way the the walk continued, um, I've watched her my whole entire life through my years as a solo mom. She helped me raise my kids and she's just an amazing woman. In fact, she's 88 and still leads a Sunday school class. So the role of your Nana, is that his name? Nana. Mm-hmm. Nana. I'm I'm Poppy and my wife is Nani. So it's amazing even just that. Like every family has their own name for the grandparent. And I'm Honey. You're Honey. I'm Honey. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> Everybody has that sort of family <laughs> tradition. But what's really interesting is when when our spiritual faith is on display. In other words, if our life is backing up what we say, then the influence is exponential, isn't it? It is. For a grandparent. It is. She, through any hard time, through any um, displacement that I felt um, in my nuclear family, any of those places, she was always a constant. Yeah, that's fantastic. I hope someday one of my grandkids says those types of things about me, because that that would mean I finished my course strong. That's good. Today we have a really special guest on Brilliantly Brave Uh, This is a friend of mine now. We're going back probably a decade or more, um, and she's pretty special. Dana Gresh is a best-selling author, speaker, founder of True Girl, which is formerly known as Secret Keeper Girl. Um, She's an author of over 20 books. She's got some bestsellers, including The Bride Wore White, and more recently, Lies Girls Believe. Welcome to Brilliantly Brave Parenting. Well, thank you. I'm so glad to be back with you. It is. It's been a little bit and a little bit, uh, hot a, minute. Yeah. And a lot has changed. Tell us just real quick. What's been going I'm, on in your life the last two I'm, years? I'm old. I've gotten old, Brad. <laughs> uh, speaking of grandparenting, I became a grandmother, a grandmother of two um, at one time. So, you know, high performer in that 
respect. Got twin girls yeah. just a few months ago. You know what? I've decided I'm going to be called. What? And and they, they're not talking yet, so we don't know if they agree with this or not. But my daughter says, since my name is Dana, I need to be Nana Dana. One oh, word. I like it. Not not two words. That's one word. Don't don't desecrate the Nana Dana. It's a one word thing. Oh, that's a hashtag campaign coming. I feel it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but don't, but they say that they get to pick it. I think that's true. I think we have our our plans, (laughs) but they sort of. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So in addition to that, um, I have been doing Secret Keeper Girl Ministry for about just over a decade. And in the last year, we changed the name of that ministry to True Girl and really refined it. Are just looking at how we do that ministry for eight to 12 year old girls just a little bit differently and partnered with True Woman, which is the ministry of Nancy DeMoss Walgamuth. And um, I've joined her as the co-host of Revive Our Hearts as a part of that partnership. So I've been a little busy. Yes, you have. A little you, busy. You have. You know, as I'm listening to all of that activity, um, I am sure you have some highlights, some some hard times as well. But one of the things that while you've been so active and we've been active, and as you put it, we've gotten old, uh, <laughs> which is not really up for debate anymore based on the gray in my beard. <laughs> Um, I, I think the world has really accelerated its change. Um, Mm. there's been a, a pretty significant, uh, shift in our culture. We started talking about that way back with Francis Chan and George Barnett, Mm -hmm. this idea of shift and we could see it coming. Now we're kind of in it. Um, yeah. We can see it from the politics. We can see it from the way, uh, marriage has been redefined. We can see it. Really, just as a culture accepting things that 10 or 15 years ago would, were not accepted as a, a normal behavior is now not only accepted, but even celebrated. So as we've sort of seen the culture grow more hostile to biblical value, um, mm-hmm. the question then of how we form a child's belief system has become even more significant to the church. Talk to me a little bit about what you're discovering out there. Well, uh, one thing that we're seeing for sure is that the lack of biblical values is having a tremendous impact on the emotional health of our children and our grandchildren. So when we started talking, Pastor Brad, about a decade ago, we were talking with Francis Chan and George Barna and um, all those others that were just concerned really with a focus on the tweens, um, believing that the belief system is built in those years. And it really is. It's very, very much built in those eight to 12 year old years. That doesn't mean the other years aren't important, but those years seem to be very critical. Um, what we didn't know is how quickly the lack of biblical value is going to impact the emotional health of our children. And what we can see now in uh, the year 2020 is that in the last decade, anxiety and depression has hockey sticked. Now, when you see trends that grow either one way or the other, um, it, you know, that's something to look at. But when you see a hockey stick, that's something to be alarmed about or to celebrate. 
And um, when you see things like anxiety and depression hockey stick, and when you see loneliness hockey stick, and when you see kids saying, "Um, I'm not hanging out with friends, you start to pay attention to that. And what we've seen even in the last 18 months to two years is the 10 year outcome of that depression and anxiety is an incredible rise in suicide. You know, you can hardly go anywhere where you don't hear, or I have hardly gone anywhere where somebody doesn't walk up to me and say, yeah, a fifth grader in my child's elementary school committed suicide. Can you help me navigate how to have conversations with them? Just this week, I have a senior in in high school who's a producer on um, one of the podcasts that I'm a, a part of here at our ministry. And he's just kind of an uh, intern in the ministry, but he couldn't be with us. I said, where were you? Where were you today, Dylan? a fellow high school student that he works with at a car wash committed suicide. It's everywhere. It's all around us. And so we're definitely seeing that there's, it's not just um, that those biblical values were good behavior, good choices. It's that they were good for us. And we can now start to see the aftermath. And I'm kind of entering, I have entered 2020. And this is the year that I am sounding an alarm for parents and grandparents. And Brad, I don't, I don't, I'm not kind of like, I've never been one of the people that gets on the bandwagon of naysaying and uh, boycotting. And I just wish Christians didn't do that. We look so nasty sometimes, but you know what I think we need to do? I think we need to pray and fast. Mm -hmm. I think we need to pray and fast for our children, and our grandchildren, because they are in the crosshairs of the enemy. Wow. I felt that what you just said, um, you know, in the Bible it says that the Holy Spirit will bear witness when someone says the truth, speaks the truth. I felt that um, even though we're a thousand miles apart, I there's truth in what you're just saying that is beyond your opinion. This, mm-hmm. um, I want to affirm that there is a dangerous sort of moment here in our culture where we as parents have had the luxury, really. To let the church take the primary role in mm-hmm. speaking and forming faith in our kids' lives. And I think those days are over. Mm-hmm. And I, I think there is a renewed urgency to parents sort of stepping up and owning this and saying, I have influence in my child's life and I need to exercise it. And whether that's in the eight to 12 year old range or before in preparing them and planting the seeds of truth in their life, or if that is after the fact and we're now intercessors for them, mm-hmm. um, we still have influence and we should not abdicate it. We should not surrender that influence to our culture. Um, I think that's what I heard you just say. Yeah, we can't surrender our influence to the culture. And it never was the job of the pastor. It never was the job of the church. There's no place in scripture where you find that 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 the pastor or the church or the religious organization is charged with the task of the moral development of our children. Never, not one time. Um, it is always prescribed to parents 
many, many places. Deuteronomy six is one, you know, that comes to mind where it says, listen, when you're walking, when you're standing, when you're sitting, teach your children, my commands, teach them these words, teach them this truth. And, you know, there's no, there's, there's some great children's pastors out there. There are some great youth pastors out there. They're doing great things with our kids, but that's supplemental. They're not sitting, standing, walking. They're not eating every day with our children, with our grandchildren. So the context of that is, first of all, it's to the children and it's constant and it has to be constant. And what's happening right now is that we're kind of, we're sending our kids away from us most of the time. And so at every point they're sitting, walking and standing and eating with somebody who's informing their moral development. And we have to, as parents, be really um, in tune to the fact that when we are with them, we must be planting truth. I couldn't agree with you more, Dana. Um, And even from the time my daughters uh, who are now grown and uh, one is married um, from the time they were, when we first stepped into secret keeper girl, it was about 2004. I was trying to back out of it by graduation dates, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. uh, Madison wanted to have this group and we found um, the secret keeper girl. And there was a CD that was um, by Rebecca St. James too, that was with it. Um, and they were dealing with things that at that time I thought were really hard. But today's girl, who is 9, 10, 11, however old um, you know, they may be, they're dealing with different things now, right? I mean, stuff that we never walked through, things I didn't walk through with my daughter. Yeah. Well, when, uh, when I wrote Lies Girls Believe just a couple of years ago, I surveyed 1,500 tween girls, did focus groups with their moms, really wanted to identify what are the top 20 lies that these girls are, are believing. And this is seven to 12 year old girls, eight to 12 year old girls. And was, I guess I, I wasn't shocked at what I heard, but I was because I was prepared for what I was going to hear, but I still didn't want to hear it. And, um, you know, we did hear a lot of confusion about gender in these girls. They, They were saying they weren't necessarily experiencing gender dysphoria or gender confusion, but the, but our kids are at a place where they're saying, yeah, I don't think there's really much of a difference between being a boy and a girl. And yeah, I don't, I don't think we there should be a difference. And yeah, I don't think it matters. Um, Those are dangerous lies. Those are dangerous lies. They're gateways to really allow us to erase gender. And um, God says in Genesis 127 that we are created in his image and male and female. He created us. Why did he say that? There are so many godlike things about us, our language proficiency, our creativity, the fact that we could defy gravity and fly to the moon. I mean, there we have amazing godlike quality. Back in the beginning, God knew that the thing that made us like him was maleness and femaleness, gender. So it matters. And it's a and it's a lie that we have to address with them at the age of eight to 12. You know, I'm listening to these truths and sort of realizations as parents. And I know we have, uh, Dana, you and I and Robert and many other ministries have banded together in the Tween Gospel Alliance over a decade 
of trying to raise awareness among the, the culture that is the Christian church saying, you know, there is a strategic age and stage of life before 13 where kids values are forming. Barna talked about it way back. We're now sort of seeing the results of that. When you say that we've drifted from our biblical values or those biblical values were good for us, mm-hmm. what do you mean by that exactly? Well, God tells us in his word that um, that when he gives us a guideline, it's so that we will prosper. He says that in Jeremiah, he says that in Deuteronomy, he says it over and over again. Listen, when I created you, I knew how I formed you. I knew how you functioned. I am your designer and our designer kind of gets to define us. He knows what he knows what what makes us function best. And when he created us, um, for example, with gender and he created us, uh, male and female with the ability to marry and love. Well, that is all a part of, um, bearing his image, reflecting who he is, but he also knows since I made you that way, that's how you're going to be happiest. That's how you, not only you as an individual will be happiest, but that is how the culture will be healthiest. And we can see, um, for example, fatherhood is really in crisis. It has been for decades and it's only getting worse. Fathers aren't present. If they are in the home, they're not emotionally present. Um, they might be somewhat active dads, but they're not strategic fathers sometimes in the sense of blessing their family, leading their family spiritually, deciding what it means um, to, to, to help their son know what it means to become a man. And they're just kind of um, there. This isn't Dana's opinion. This is social science research, whether you're looking at theologically based research or um, worldly research. And every time you see that happen in culture, you see the disintegration of culture. When the family unit of male, female family breaks down, that culture breaks down. And so, so there's something about how God created us to create family that makes us flourish. It makes us prosper. So as I'm listening to you, uh, It's sort of the maturing view of the Christian as we start out. First, God gives us these commandments. Don't do these things. But as we grow in our understanding, we begin to understand these are good for us. So it's not a negative. Now it's a positive. This idea that God actually is looking out for us, that he's he's trying to protect our hearts. He's trying to protect us from things that were harmful to our our well-being. And. So now society, culturally, as it rejects more and more of the biblical narrative, the idea that there is absolute truth, that God actually could be wiser than us, um, when we begin to sort of abandon those roots, what I'm hearing you say is that the chaos is now just flooding in. Like this Mm -hmm. depression, anxiety, loneliness, these hockey sticks, as you put them, uh, statistically, Um, These are becoming now sort of a tidal wave of negativity that's hitting our youth. Is that correct? Oh, yeah, absolutely. In um, the year 19. okay, now let me say that a little differently. The average uh, eight to 17 year old, I believe, not sure if I have those ages exactly right, scores as high on an anxiety test today 
as one who would be admitted for inpatient treatment in the year 1956. Mm-hmm. So we're talking serious anxiety. We're not talking, oh, I'm a little stressed out over finals anxiety. We're talking constant state living in anxiety and depression to the point where in 1956, we said, uh-oh, this child needs intervention. Let's separate them from the world and put them in a place where we can help their heart heal and their mind heal. Now we're just saying, ugh, they're all like that. So it's normal, right? Let's just let it alone. That's crazy. That's crazy. Norm, when did normal become okay when it was negative and, and, and deteriorating of our child's heart and health? It's it's not okay. I th- I think that what uh, you're saying is, um, as, as I'm listening to you, like there's this thing kind of like boiling up in me <laughs> because I love today's youth so much, and um, when the world says that something is okay, and we're coming against it, and we still see it going on. And like you said, growing in 1956, there was anxiety, right? And and now we're looking at that, that it's commonplace for them to have that level of anxiety that can lead to so many things. But it's commonplace for these people, these young people to have that level of anxiety. Um, that, that makes me want to take action. And you have these incredible resources for us that are available for, um, for churches and for individuals and for small groups, like what, um, we have done. And I've seen the difference that it's made, um, in, in my kids, um, this, the book I'm really interested in, I actually have it in front of me on my screen and and Brad just actually handed it to me in paper. Um, the mom's guide to uh, lies that girls believe. Tell us a little bit about that and what's available with that and how, how many different ways there are to get this. Well, let's talk about emotions because that book is really about emotions. Um, God created our emotions. So therefore they are good because he looked at everything in Genesis that he created and he said it is good. So our emotions are good. They're um, even the ones we think are negative, like anger or sadness or grief. Those are good. They're tools of God. What I think they are is they're messengers. So they they come to us. The anxiety, for example, says, hey, I have a message for you. You are doing too much. And so I'm going to make you feel anxious until you take a look at and take inventory and say, ah, I'm not God. I can't do it all. And you slow down, right? If you do that, then the anxiety stops or it should. The stress stops. It should. So in that sense, our emotions are good. They're tools from God, messengers from God, asking us to pay attention to the, to the environment around us and respond appropriately. Grief. There's a season for grief. When we lose something, something dear to us, we should grieve. That is proof that we are human, that we are. So they're all good emotions. But when the grief never goes away, when the anxiety never goes away, I call that for the for the younger girls, I call that a sticky emotion. But that's a pretty good term for us as adults, too. When an emotion sticks to us and it doesn't come do its job and then depart as it was created to do, that is almost always evidence of one of two things. Either um, there's a lie deep down in your belief system. And that lie deep down in your belief system is just creating 
havoc in your emotional system. But the good thing about that is when it's sticking to you, you know, oh, there's a lie. I need to go find it. It's like a buoy at the top of the surface, right? right? Saying, come on down here. There's something you need to discover. And sometimes, but I find that this is not as common. There is just a habitual sin in that person's life that's keeping them shackled to a specific emotion. Um, and when they rectify that, and usually that sin activity is also rooted in a lie. When you uproot that lie and then replace it with God's truth, the emotional system stabilizes. So what we have right now is a whole culture that's saying, ah, there are buoys above the surface in almost everyone right now. And we are, as a culture, just drowning in lies. Wow, that is a fantastic visual illustration of of what's happening, not only culturally in the macro, but in the micro, like in my own life, I'm sitting there going, oh boy, um, I, I just noticed something that's a buoy in my life. Um, sticky emotions are a wonderful way for us to help uh, understand when we are connecting. I think the word you, the way you said it is when our emotions are tied to a pattern or behavior. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. A sin in, in specific. Um, I, I am uh, always amazed, Dan, at how you just root out the truth and you get like you're I can feel like you've got a spade and you're going into the ground. You're like, <laughs> we're going to find a root of this thing and we're going to unearth it and we're going to deal with it. And um, I am so appreciative that that is your heart. And I'm very grateful for the voice of, of guidance and wisdom that you are giving to a generation. I just want to say that on the record, mm. don't want anything from you. Just saying it. Mm. Um, it's a really wonderful thing you and Bob are, are doing with true girls. And now you're doing it with true women. As we're talking about these sort of heavy things, I want to, I want to try and help it be practical and uh, applicable for the people who are listening, the moms that are in our audience and so I'm going to ask you a hard question. All right. Go for it. Fair, your fair warning. So <laughs> a moment when you really struggled as a parent and then how you got through that difficult time. Mm. I think probably the biggest thing I have struggled with across the board with my two girls is feeling really comatose when they have friendship drama. Which, you know, you, with, you can't raise girls without friendship drama. It's going to be. It's going to happen. They're going to have frenemies. They're going to have mean girl moments. They're going to be mean girls sometimes. And I feel like that every time that happened, you know, I would just I'm automatically revert to this is my fault. I'm a bad mom. I can't do this. And, um, you know, I really kind of felt at when they weren't having those moments, I felt like I was Christian mom of the year. And when they were having those moments, I felt like I was, you know, the, I deserved the, you stink mom of the year award. And, um, I think that is emotion. That's a sign when you respond to your children's sinfulness or pain and you make it about you, that's a sign that you are believing a lie. And so that's, that's something that I've, even as young adults, I'm still like 
that one always surfaces for me. And I always have to go like, okay, God, what's down there in the roots that's making me respond to this instead of factually, instead of out of the truth of God, I know from the word of God, instead of with conviction and compassion, why am I responding with emotion? There's a lie in me and I got to go figure out. And I I wish I could tell you, Brad, that I had figured out what it is. (laughs) I'm in process on that one. I haven't figured it out because they're still walking through it. And so am I. I I understand. Uh, I totally understand. The the reality is that we make, uh, I know Eldridge, uh, John Eldridge and his wife, Stacy, talk about agreements, um, things that we sort of make agreements about ourselves, about God, about the world. And they really do tie us up and and rob us of our freedom in Christ. Um, as you're thinking through 2020, you made a, a pretty strong spiritual statement that it's time to take back some stuff. And you talked yep. about fasting and praying. What do you mean by that? And how could people join you in that? Well, fast and pray. If you're burdened for children and um, young adults, it's really under the age of 35 that's at the highest risk of suicide, depression, and anxiety right now. Um, Anyone under that age, uh, from five and up, I mean, the average age of the first eating, uh, the average age of eating um, disorder patients in clinics, uh, you know, inpatient treatment used to be. Uh, 15. Now the average is 10 with patients as young as five. Yeah. So, so if you're worried about this, if you're concerned about this, if you see this, I implore, implore you to set some time aside to fast and pray back in November when the Lord was really burdening me for all of this. Um, and I, and I really think Brad, there's a very, very strong connection to social media and screen use that, is a big contributor, not the only one, but a big contributor to the anxiety, the depression and the suicide. And yet God said, no, I don't want you to go on the war path against those things. I did go on the, I did change some of my social media habits and my screen habits. My husband is calls himself the flip phone evangelist. Cause he now is using a flip phone. Um, but that's not <laughs> for me to preach to everybody. It's not saying you have to go get a flip phone or you have to change. But, um, but God said, you know, don't don't fight this with the things of the world, your words, fight on your knees. And so I began to informally contact ministries that I knew um, and moms in prayer, for example, and other ministries and said, will you communicate this burden to your followers and just ask them to fast and pray? And I did not formalize a plan. I did not you know, create a website. I didn't name the thing. And we just have moms and grandmas and sometimes dads and grandfathers, although I have more influence with the women, um, fasting and praying, however they're led. And I, I hope that at the end of 2020, that we see God's done something because we just said, okay, this wasn't somebody's program. There was no marketing savvy to it. We just joined together. We saw the enemy moving and we cried out to God in fasting and prayer that he would move. My hands are up. (laughs) I'm ready. Uh, I, I feel it. It's true. Uh, we cannot fight back in the ways and weapons of the the culture. We need to use our spiritual 
spiritual weapons that God's given us. You know, I talked with a guy named Tony Souter with the Pray For Me campaign out of Chattanooga, Tennessee. He has this ministry where there's like 500 churches now, and each student is asking a uh, three generations to pray for them. So a grandparent, someone their parents' age, and then somebody their age, a peer. And I am going to connect you to because I, I think there's something going on. There's a stirring, if you will, within the body of Christ that we have to take this seriously, that we have to pray. Absolutely. And cover our you know, kids in prayer. When God speaks, he generally says it to lots of people. <laughs> he does. Yeah. It's like an AM broadcast. You know, did, yeah. you, did you tune it in? Um, yep. Yeah. And I, and that's what I just sensed when you shared that. I talked with Tony if, just a few episodes ago about his Pray For Me campaign. It's free. There's no agenda. There's no, you know, he's not doing a marketing campaign. He's just a youth minister in the middle of Chattanooga who's like, we got to pray for our kids and we need to get our grandparents praying for kids. And we need people, you know, just simply doing that. We don't have to make this complicated. And uh, I sense the same heart in you. Yep. Yep. That's very cool. Melanie, do you have any last thoughts or questions for Dana before we say goodbye? I'm just looking at all these um, materials that you have, Dana, and I I just want to, again, affirm you for um, everything that you have you've put together here and the way that you have kind of reshaped and reframed it for today's girl. Um, and I am I'm going to pass all this information personally pass all this information along to the people who are um, involved in this part of the ministry in my church and in uh, some, some other areas. Uh, I just, I think this is amazing. I just want to, I, I just want to say thank you. I mean, on a very personal level, I have two daughters who have um, experienced um, secret keeper girls. And like I mentioned, they're, they're grown now, but um, they do have, we do have a mom and daughter life group that we do together. And, um, I, I can just see this growing into something really, really great again for me very personally. So thank you. Thank you for doing all that you have done. It's just beautiful. I have, I, I have fruit of what you have, um, been so obedient to share. Mm, that's encouraging to hear. Thank you for encouraging me with that. So for those who are listening, Dana, you have several online presences, including a fantastic Ted talk. Um, where should people go to find out more about what you're up to? Uh, danagresh.com or mytruegirl.com. Very cool. I, uh, I've been talking with Dana Gresh. She is uh, an amazing voice for our children, for our youth, in particular young women in the areas of purity, in the areas of self-control, areas of living according to a biblical worldview. And she's very practical. She's very helpful. Uh, if you're looking for a speaker or someone to be involved in your ministry locally, I could not recommend her higher if you can get her. Uh, she's very busy. So be in prayer for Dana and her ministries that she's a part of. This takes incredible toll on the families and the relationships involved behind the scenes. So please mm. think of her often as you pray uh, for what God is doing in the culture. All right, Dana. Thank you. I know you're busy. My Appreciate pleasure. it. Thank you, guys. God bless you. Thanks. Say hi to Bob. Once again, Dana delivers. She's got the insights, doesn't she? Oh, she does. I was amazed and floored at some of the things she shared. She shared with us. I had no idea about the depth 
of the anxiety level. You hear about kids and adolescents having these anxiety issues, which lead to suicide and um, other things. I didn't realize that um, their depth of anxiety was the equivalent of what someone would have been hospitalized for previously. And they're walking around like that. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a sort of indictment on the level of uh, stress that our culture has just become normal. It's background noise for most of our teens. Uh, when I wrote the Storms of Life study, uh, I came across that stat because it it is in social studies. That's not a Christian study. That's actually like in psychological profile studies right now of youth and kind of the anxiety levels they're they're trying to function under all the time. What I thought was really interesting is her tying together the emotional health of our youth with the abandonment of the biblical model. That's an interesting statistic. I mean, that, that's more than like, a, hey, I'm indicting you as a pastor. She's speaking scientifically like these things were there for a reason. And when you remove them, stuff happens. Yeah, this stuff happens. Mm -hmm. um, I also was very um, interested in how she was talking about um, emotions and how they're good. You know, I've heard that before and I've shared that before. But today when she was talking about how when you have an emotion and it doesn't leave, that it's that sticky emotion, mm -hmm. um, that it's tied to something, that it's tied to a lie that you're believing, uh, something that you're habitually doing or believing or thinking or something that's very deep. And the way to overcome that and move past that and remove that sticky emotion and get back into a healthy place is to um, combat it with the word of God. Yeah, it is, um, it is evident that the warnings that we received from sort of thought leaders 10, 15 years ago, guys like George Barna, um, Francis Chan, they were writing books. They were writing and, and researching these issues among our youth, and they were predicting this. They predicted that as the culture shifted away from the biblical model, that there would be a rise in sort of restlessness and a abandonment of the biblical truths of our heritage here in America. But one of the things that really I think has caught us all off guard is how quickly this happened and then how devastating it's been to the emotional well-being of our youth. Like, and their families and the people who yeah. are, you know, standing with them in their churches or just in society. Um, that I mean, that is shocking I mean, how fast that that did occur. Yeah. I mean, I think because I was a part of that movement mm -hmm. um, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, I remember sort of feeling compelled by the Holy Spirit, like warn them, you know, sound the alarm. You're you're sort of the Paul Revere, if you will. And, and our job was to sort of bring that to the church's global attention. Like, hey, heads up. These things are changing. We need to really focus on this age group. Now I feel like God's saying, OK, so you've warned everyone. Now let's fight back. Right. Here's some tools. Yeah. Let's get this. Quit taking this on the chin. Absolutely. Let's, you know. Uh, Gloves off. <laughs> exactly. It's time to really see the power of God released and not just take a defensive posture anymore. It's not a warning. Now it's okay. Dig a foxhole, you know, get your sandbags <laughs> and, and arm yourself um, and defend 
the territory that I've given you in this kingdom. And uh, for us, for most of us, that means our families, right? We're, we're supposed to defend our families. We're supposed to push back against the darkness. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, she, she mentioned Deuteronomy six, teach them Mm -hmm. putting that in a place where we can um, actually put it into action with our kids. You know, even though we're fighting back, we still need to be on guard and instilling these things into our kids so that they know how to fight. Yep. I I am very, uh, I'm stirred as a stirred within, you know, this uh, rising of my sort of spiritual anger at this culture and how dare you defy this faith of ours. Um, I feel like David standing in front of a Philistine giant saying, you know, how dare you uh, defy the living God, you know, with your lies and with your uh, just presumptions about being better and stronger than these truths. So if you feel like me, if you feel like you need to pick up some stones and get a sling, uh, it it's time to pray. And to fast. And uh, when when Dana Gresh tells me that she is feeling led to do this in 2020, this is not a hype woman. This is not a leader who gets up and pounds the drum. If she's saying this, it's real. And I remember talking with Tony Souter just a few episodes ago with the Pray For Me campaign. He's feeling that way. Um, I would urge you, if you're tired of this and you want to do something significant, pray. Take a time off. Don't eat lunch. Take some time to show God that you're serious about this. Fast and pray. And if a couple thousand of us start doing it and we tell a couple thousand more people, we're going to see revival. Well, I'm on board with that 100% for our youth for the future. I think what she's doing is amazing. And they can find out information about that on her website. Yeah, absolutely. And we will have links, uh, live links to not only her books and resources, but the ministry she's involved with. That TED Talk is fantastic for moms with daughters that are dealing with sexuality and purity issues. Uh, She really, really uh, says some fantastic truths in that TED Talk. We'll have all that resource information links. We'll even uh, possibly have some links there to the Pray For Me campaign if you're interested in your church getting involved practically with praying for this next generation. Where uh, should people go to give us five stars? Where do they do that? Well, they're listening on an app right now to us somewhere. So if they'll just click right out of this podcast, they should see a place where they can rank us or leave um, some nice words about us. And, um, you know, Brad always wants five stars. I do. We hope that we hit five stars, but we'd love to hear from you also. So leave a comment. Uh, every time you leave a comment, that pushes up us up a little higher in the returns when people search for a great podcast. And we all know that Instagram yes. is Melanie's favorite. Yes. So if you're not on Instagram following us, Melanie will be quite displeased. Just just follow us. We're having a lot of fun. I won't be displeased. I'll be disappointed. Well, I can tell you that she's a whiz at Instagram posting. And if you're not following her, you're missing out on some really cool stuff because she's very creative. So thanks again for joining us. We will be here next week at the same time in the same place. God bless. Bye. 
Be encouraged, parents, you are not alone. In Paul's letter to his son in the faith, Timothy, he writes, But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Brilliantly Brave Parenting wants to be an encouragement and support that parents can rely on. Would you consider liking us and sharing us with a friend? As a part of the Tween Gospel Alliance, we are a nonprofit organization dependent on the support of friends like you. Thanks for stopping by. We'll be right here next week.